think our team is um, really deep this year. We can play 13 guys if we had to. But um, last year's team, I respect those guys. I miss like Shabari and Quay. I feel like they're doing well where they're at. But um, the depth of this team is tremendous. Uh, I don't like bashing other guys, but uh, these guys, I, I can really say they, they make the job easy. Hi. So he says, wrecked them, damn near killed them. Hey, man! The meatloaf! We want it now! What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Balls 24 7 podcast. West Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio on a uh, slushy, wintry, mixy Thursday night in Knoxville. Is that how you say it? Not really rainy. Not really snowy. Kind of in the middle. Not sure slushy sounds right. Either way, it's cold. It's not very comfortable. But by the time y'all are listening to this, it'll be at least Friday morning. Might have anywhere from zero to two inches of snow on the ground. Not really sure. Never really know with the weather in this area. Gotta say, though, I had a really fun time watching some of these people on the Weather Channel get really, really really excited when discussing what was happening with the weather in East Tennessee. They were talking about how the dry air that's in front of this cold front, when this this weather kind of comes through, it might actually be a little bit warmer than 32 degrees, but when that cold front and that 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 kind of that precipitation hits all that that dry air that it causes uh, what would be rain to turn to snow by the time it falls. And they were really, really excited talking about this. They were as excited talking about this, probably more excited than I've ever been about anything in my entire life. And I'm normally a, a fairly happy guy these days. Well, that's kind of a lie. I'm mostly a happy guy. Regardless, I've never been as happy or as excited about anything as they were talking about this weather. But y'all didn't come to this podcast listening to me talk about meteorology, something I know nothing about. You wanted to talk about Tennessee basketball. If you want to talk about meteorology, talk to Ryan Callahan, our co-worker at GoVols 24-7. He uh, is a bit of a weather nerd, so to speak. One of the many things he's a nerd about. But he loves the weather. But y'all came here to talk about Tennessee basketball, to hear us talk about Tennessee basketball. Vols, 16-5 overall, 6-3 in the SEC, number 18 in the coaches' poll, 9 in the Ken Palm rankings, 14th in the RPI. After that 84-61 win over LSU on Wednesday night in the Tommy Bowl, Falls got Ole Miss coming up on Saturday. An Ole Miss team that's interesting. About right there around 500, not really a good team, not really a bad team, but a a, a very Andy Kennedy team, a, a team that uh, is physical, a team that will fight you, a team that's not always very fun to play against, but uh, it's not always the most exciting team to watch either. But regardless, uh, it's a big game for Tennessee, one that Tennessee needs to go ahead and take care of business in. Uh, and if the Vols just keep doing what they've been doing lately, that that should not be a problem. Tennessee's been... Uh, since the last podcast that we've had, Tennessee's had a couple of really strong performances, a, a really nice win in the Big 12 SEC Challenge over Iowa State uh, on Saturday there in lovely uh, Flat Ames, Iowa. And then Tennessee came back and handled LSU, as I just mentioned, on Wednesday night. So Vols have been taking care of business, had a bit of an injury scare there with Grant Williams, but things seem to be okay. Uh, backcourt's playing pretty well. The the bench uh, has been playing out of its mind, scoring 44 points against LSU. So there's lots to talk about. And uh, just a few minutes ago, I sat down with coworker Grant Ramey, and we started talking about that. So here's Grant Ramey and I talking a little uh, Tennessee basketball. Well, Grant, since we spoke last, I guess for the last week's Go Vols 24-7 Hoops podcast. Tennessee's gone on and won a couple more basketball games. The Vols now 16-5 and overall, 6-3 and in the SEC, tied for second in the SEC, uh, ranked number 18 in the coaches' poll, ninth in the Ken Palm rankings, 14th in the RPI, uh, 84-61 win over LSU on Wednesday night being the most recent win, a, a pretty authoritative win, uh, maybe – Uh, Not a complete performance by Tennessee because there were some rough patches here or there, but it's hard to complain about a 23-point win even even over one of the worst teams in the SEC. So things seem to be going pretty pretty solid for Tennessee. Pretty pretty good, as Larry David might say. I think we spent all of last week's podcast like uh, negatively discussing how they just kept winning games and weren't playing their best basketball, and uh, maybe they listened to the podcast because they go out and and record back to back 23-point wins. 
Uh, really good defensive stuff at Iowa State that made a, a pretty good Iowa State team look pretty bad. And took care of business against a, a really short-handed LSU team that really didn't have any business hanging around with Tennessee. So, yeah, I mean, they're still probably not playing their best basketball, but it seems like they're kind of finding a little bit of a groove and, and getting into the kind of stretching their legs a little bit and, and seeing what they can do. And it's, uh, what, seven of eight now or six of seven? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're winning a lot of basketball games. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, we should mention more about that Iowa State game over the weekend because that was Tennessee's performance in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, which the SEC has won uh, now for the first time ever. And, and Tennessee, one of the reasons why that happened. And, you know, perspective can be key in things like this, Grant. And, and when you look at uh, just that one performance that Tennessee had over Iowa State, you go, oh, well, eh, that's what Tennessee's supposed to do. But then you look at the way Iowa State had been playing a couple games before that, and then immediately the game after that when Iowa State puts up a billion points on West Virginia and beats the Mountaineers. So it, it, it's when you when you look at it comparatively speaking, you know, over Iowa State's past couple weeks, I think that puts that Tennessee win in a different light. Yeah, and that's a that's a notoriously tough place to play at Hilton Coliseum. Uh, in Ames, the Hilton Magic, as they call it, or or whatever, and I think they've they've knocked off something like five 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 of their last six ranked teams or something at Hilton Coliseum, and and the only outlier there is Tennessee. And uh, not only did you know it, that game really didn't start very well for Tennessee. I think they were two for their first maybe sixteen or seventeen from the field. I mean, to start with, they couldn't throw the ball in the ocean. Uh, but the way they played defensively, I mean, that was the fewest points, 45 by Iowa State, the fewest points they've ever scored at Hilton Coliseum. Uh, 33% shooting was like the 10th lowest uh, in school history. That was the fewest points for Iowa State in a game in Ames since 1959, which is which is really crazy to think about. And uh, it, I mean, as soon as Tennessee got rolling and finally started making some shots and, and got the, the bench scoring from their backcourt, man, it was, a, it was an easy day at the office from there. Yeah, and that is a tough place to play because you were there. And, you know, those of us who are kind of college basketball junkies know that, you know, a lot of people who probably don't think about it very often forget about the fact that Iowa State's pretty sneaky good a lot of times and, and has been in its recent history, you know, a high seed in the NCAA tournament several times. It's had a couple of really big runs in the tournament. I mean, that that's a, a sneaky good basketball school and a, a tough place to play in an arena that's almost always sold out and, you know, you were there, Grant. What was that atmosphere like? Was that a, a pretty tough atmosphere? You know, compared to maybe that South Carolina game, you know, when Tennessee had faced that previous Saturday, the Gamecocks, and uh, it was sold out there in Colonial Life Arena and was pretty loud, pretty pretty crazy atmosphere there. What what did how, how did Iowa State compare to that? Uh, it was good. It was it was a really nice gym. Uh, it's it's just kind of just the right size. It felt like I think it's maybe fifteen or so thousand something capacity. Uh, they put students on both ends of the floor, which is kind of kind of unique. They don't put them all in one area, uh, so there's noise on both ends uh, for the first and second half. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looked like it was if there were empty seats, there weren't many of them, and that's a maybe a 500 or so, maybe a couple games above 500 Iowa State team right now, despite uh, the fact that they have had some big wins this season. Uh, and credit to the students, uh, they were loud the whole time. Uh, they were there in force, and, and, and even late in the game when they were down 20, 25, 23, whatever it was, uh, in the final two minutes, they were chanting uh, for Brad Woodson to get in the game and, and singing all these songs to get Brad Woodson in the game, and, and it, uh, it obviously never happened, but uh, they, were, they were there to the closing minute. Yeah, way to go, Rick Barnes. You're letting everybody down. They wanted to see some. They wanted to see some Brad Woodson magic uh, in, in Hilton magic, but you know, when, when you... And, look, and the one guy, the one guy that Everybody saw uh, cover up his Iowa State jersey with a Admiral Schofield jersey uh, in the student section. He was the guy that came up to me after the game and said, uh, did Wes Rucker make this trip with you? Yeah. Uh, and I said no, and he just kind of stood there because I think he might have been a little inebriated. Uh, and then we both went our own separate ways. <laughs> and from it was magic, and it was our taster's choice moment, and we parted ways and never never to meet again. But, yeah, that that's – I hated not to not make that trip, but, you know, uh, I really didn't because it was probably cold and miserable and, you know, it probably couldn't have been all that great. I'll, although I'll uh, I'll keep that one on the bucket list because I've heard good things about that arena. And from what you're describing, it, it sounds like that is a place to, to hit up if you get a chance. Yeah, it was like in the 50s there, like low 50s. It wow. was a, uh, the sun was out. It was, it was mild. It was uh, it was, felt like spring break in Iowa, I guess. 
Yeah, that's like summer. anybody spring break in Iowa. That's like spring weather going on there. Yeah, they're probably got the baseball mitts out and they're out tracking fly balls. I bet their baseball team, which probably never gets to practice in any weather remotely that nice until like midway through the season, was probably out there hamming it up out there for for batting practice. But you know, when you look at, there's a lot of things to break down about this team and, and where things are going right now and where they're trending. And we'll get to all that, but there have been a couple of stories, uh, one that we wrote and one that our partners of the Knoxville News Sentinel have written in the past couple of days that are have really been kind of some some breaking news items, some interesting, interesting things. And I guess we'll start with uh, with our partners at the KNS first. They, they reported, uh, they were the first to report that, that there was a one of the most interesting uh NCAA violations I can remember is is Rick Barnes Tennessee's coach uh decided that one of his assistants Desmond Oliver needed he thought he needed a raise he thought he deserved a raise and when the previous administration one of them said that, that they didn't want to do that uh, Rick Barnes decided to go ahead and pay him out of his own pocket which is is very altruistic very uh, nice of him and also an NCAA violation so uh, Tennessee doesn't seem to be in any trouble for it they it's kind of a minor violation but but really a an interesting story there yeah, and it was such a non-issue that Rick Barnes told his administrator, hey, this is what I'm doing. This wasn't something like uh, they had to run an audit and find something going on here. No, Rick Barnes just said, uh, out in the open, I think he should get a raise. He's not gotten one, so I'm just going to start writing him a check, which is uh, certainly not something you you, <laughs> you hear of in this business very much. But but knowing Rick Barnes, the, the point in his career he's in, uh, he's going to do what he wants to do, and he's going to get it done however he wants to get it done uh, the most to do so and that's what i was talking to mike wilson of the new sentinel uh, who worked on that story and basically said that's the most rick barnes kind of violation ever yeah. like the only other one would be like he hands out too many bibles or something yeah that... like the fact that he went out of pocket to pay his assistant uh that's the most rick barnes thing ever but uh, it worked because uh because john curry came in and, and des oliver got a uh, raise and now he's even with with Mike Schwartz and they're all good. Yeah. And and the funny thing is it's, you know, I guess the backstory there would be that they brought in a new guy and the new guy was making more than a guy who had already been there. And, And so when you do that, you know, I think the guy who who probably has already been there says, "Well, wait, why are you paying this guy? We're both a, we have the same title, we have the same responsibilities. Why why is this guy getting more?" And Rick Barnes noticed that and wanted to fix it. And when he couldn't, you know, it's like I've said before, it's that old Jerry Seinfeld skit where he he just goes, "It's like the old person in the driveway. Like I'm putting it in reverse, I'm backing up, and whatever happens happens. But I'm putting the car in reverse and I'm backing up." And that seems to be exactly what Rick Barnes is doing now. He just he's reached a point in his career and in his life where he's as comfortable in his own skin as any human being I think I've ever been around. And he'll just flat out say, "Well, yeah, I did this, and and here's why, and now I don't care." And guess what? He's uh, he's he's been here two and a half years, and he's got him rolling right now, and in, in number eighteen in the country, and second in the SEC, and whatever tie for second when when you know obviously everybody thought they would be a a much worse basketball team so he can keep doing whatever he wants to do and and be comfortable in his own skin and 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 play the game he wants to play it because right now it's working. Yeah, and speaking of that, the the story that we wrote uh, that we broke on Wednesday from an from an interview that we did with Philip Fulmer uh, govoss247.com that Rick Barnes you don't think about it like this but he's only the seventh highest paid coach in the SEC and he is in the third year of his original or initial 6-year contract. Uh, paying him anywhere between 2.5 and 3 million dollars before incentives and all that per season which is only 7th in the SEC and any other time you would see a situation like this the one Tennessee's in now you would be saying well when's that guy get a contract extension that's just how it goes now you get an extension and a raise and I asked Philip Fulmer point blank about it uh, and we'll play that audio uh, I guess for one of those podcasts early next week uh, we're going to wait and get all the stories out and then then we'll run the, the Philip Fulmer audio because we don't want to throw that out there and then have people just taking our stuff on the Internet for several days. But the point is, he said that Rick Barnes uh, has not approached him about it and just wants to focus about on the season. And Fulmer says, that's fine with me. If that's what he wants to do, that's what I want to do. He said, you know, his quote was, you know, whatever Rick wants, I'm there to support him. So uh, it sounds like they're very much on the same page. Uh, it's no secret that one of Philip Fulmer's best friends on the planet is Mac Brown. A former Texas football coach who was a very, very good friend also of Rick Barnes uh, from their days at Texas together, uh, about 15 or so years that, that they spent together down there in Austin. And 
Rick Barnes uh, has been the guy that Phil Fulmer thought he would be, the guy that he thought he inherited. And he said that he loves everything about the way this program is is run right now. He loves the performances on the, the court. He loves the the sort of the culture that's been built around the program. He loves the fact that, that the team not only wins, but plays an exciting brand of basketball that's fun to watch, uh, a team that – uh, you know, just competes really hard every night. A team that can play inside, outside, fast, slow, can can speed you up, can grind it out. Just a, a different guy stepping up on different nights. He he just basically fawned over the performance that Barnes has done for this program and, and said, hey, whenever Rick wants to talk, I'll, I'll be glad to talk to him. But he hasn't wanted to talk to me yet. So uh, that's also a very Barnes thing that it seems to be like he just wants to focus on the season. And then after the season, he'll go, no, do you want to pay me or not? Yeah, and uh, first of all, good job by you getting those that story and, and that stuff with Fulmer. And, and yeah, you're right. It's it's a very Barnes-like approach. Uh, a couple things that kind of make it make that much more sense. Go back to when Barnes was hired by Dave Hart in 2015, and he said, you know, I had to sign something, but with Dave, I would have worked on a handshake agreement. Yep. You know, he he's worked on handshake agreements in the past with the Lost Dodds, uh, most notably at Texas. Uh, he worked on a handshake agreement for multiple seasons, if you if you believe uh, the stories that Barnes says. And then you you go back to when Fulmer took over as AD. Uh, I think it was his second day on the job was like a Friday or something like that, and he came by basketball practice, and he addresses the team after practice. And I think at that point they were six and one, and he said something to the team to the fact that you know you guys are playing well right now or doing something right or something. He goes what are you guys, six and one right now, seven and one, something like that. And he looked at Barnes and Barnes just kind of shrugged and had to look at his assistant. Like, I don't know what the record is. <laughs> I think, I think that's how, that's how crazy he, he lives by the day to day. I mean, he, he does not look ahead to anything. If, if this was a young coach and this was like his breakout season and he was making a name for himself nationally, sure. It would make a lot of sense for that guy to be thinking, Let's let's lock down a new contract and 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 you know get that get that extra money. When you're a guy that's done it for as long as Rick Barnes has done it for you know for longer than I've been alive personally, uh, you're not worried about that. You got money in the bank. You got your stuff rolling. Uh, you got your family situation. You're situated. You're good to go. And, and the man is really maniacally obsessed with with the day to day of a basketball season. And almost even more than that, sometimes it seems like he just lives completely moment by moment. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I've noticed this. There's times where I've asked him a question or you've asked him a question or somebody else has in a press conference or even off to the side just, just in practice. And, and he'll start talking and he'll realize that he's been saying way too many positive things in that short period of time. So he decides midway through that sentence or midway through that answer that he's going to completely talk about something else that sucks. And it, it might be about that player. It might be about a different player. It might be about the team in general. But but he'll he'll start by you know asking, hey, this guy played great tonight, and he'll go, yeah, you know, he had sixteen, you know, these eighteen points, and he, you know, he played pretty good on the defensive end. But but you know, you 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 look at it there, and he only had three rebounds, and we need more from him than that. And you know, he'll he'll just completely change the topic, and then talk about, well, you know, the the teams. Uh, team gave up too many offensive rebounds today. Can't do that. Uh, six turnovers and nine possessions at one point in the second half. Can't do that. He just – it's almost like he lives exactly moment by moment. Yeah, I mean, to your point there, I mean, James Daniel obviously had a really good game at, at Iowa State. He was the guy that kind of sparked them in the first half and, and kind of got them rolling and, and, and dug them out of that, that early hole they had. And after the game, he starts talking about, yeah, James is a guy that can, you know, score a lot of points for us. He can, you know, he can heat up really quick, obviously, uh, with the work he's done over his college career. And then he just kind of sidetracks and says, well, if he'd practice harder, uh, he would be a lot better player. And, you know, I mean, that's to your point that he's going to keep motivating uh, every person on this team as much as possible. Uh, He lives for that stuff. He lives for the, the, the just to get in your head. Uh, and to push those certain buttons that, that are going to make you better uh, and in turn make your team better. And 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 kind of going back to that, kind of how maniacal he is about being tuned in. And, you know, people aren't kidding when they say his desk is at midcourt at Pratt Pavilion. That's really where he hangs out and yes. has all his little fireside chats. But, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to out him and say what news event happened. But I, I've been there before where there's a major news event going on outside those four walls 
and it's happened like in the morning or the night before and i've mentioned it to rick like in passing and he's just like what are you talking about like he has no idea it's happening i mean this you know it, it could be a huge huge and it has been a huge news event in the past and i'm the one breaking the story to him 24 hours later uh, because he has no idea because he's so tuned in to to what's going on in front of him uh, with his basketball team. And the other interesting part about you mentioned things like that, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this at some point, but there was one point for sure where uh, Rick Barnes and I were just talking to the, on the side about something. It was, you know, some sort of news of the day. It was something uh, something political, and we, we were talking about it and having a good back and forth and just a, a regular old non-basketball conversation. And, and, and it was about politics, and Rick Barnes was like, oh, yeah, I'd heard about this thing before. You know, my, uh, my buddy um, told me that, that he was playing golf with President Bush the other day, and uh, that, that President Bush told him this and that. And, <laughs> and you're just sitting there going, wait, what? But that's he will inadvertently – inadvertently name drop out of nowhere like oh yeah by the way um yeah one of my really good friends was playing golf with president bush i think it was a couple days ago and he mentioned something about that (laughs) and it's like it's a really really interesting life and i I wish that that barnes was more adamant about you know or 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 was more accepting or, or, or more okay with people sort of promoting the program uh the people around them and doing things because He's about impossible to dislike, and he's just such a an interesting sort of whimsical, you know, BS and just old country boy. And he's just a really interesting guy to be around. And, and I don't know that people get to see that a lot. And, and I kind of wish that they would because I, I think that would drive probably even more fan uh, appreciation or, or fan interest to what they're doing. There would be a uh, if if there were a reality show, there'd be a lot of curb moments curb enthusiasm moments where it's just like what's going on in this guy's head yeah you just you you he will randomly <laughs> one of these days I'll, I'll talk about the the random thing that he brought up to me actually he brought up to me last week that uh, he, he just it's just a random stupid thing but he'll it's just something on his mind and he just wants to talk about it and before we get too sidetracked here one thing about that about that point was you mentioned the James Daniel thing and and I'd be remiss. We were doing the, the outline of uh, rough outline of what we were going to talk about on this show. And I didn't even mention James Daniel on there and how foolish of me, because uh, that guy has been playing. I don't want to say out of his mind because out of his mind for him would be like scoring 35 or 40 points, but he was huge, huge at Iowa state and huge again, helping them put away LSU. This guy's just been, he and Lamonte Turner have been playing really good basketball at the bench. He's playing kind of what's become out of his element, and and his element uh, was the the only offense at Howard for the last you know three plus seasons. Obviously, if you look at his numbers, he was shooting, I think, on average sixteen times a game over his ninety something games at Howard, and then he comes here and obviously has a lot more talent, a lot more depth, a lot more scoring options, and he kind of becomes that facilitator. And, and he had a couple games where he had ten assists and. And then he just kind of starts scoring. I mean, he, he, he kind of started it a little bit against North Carolina, hit four, five, three game, I think, four maybe. Uh, and, yeah, the, what, what he did at Iowa State really lifted him, uh, lifted Tennessee. Uh, and what he did against LSU uh, really lifted Tennessee in the second half because uh, without him, they're hurting. And, and you go back to, to what Rick Barnes said so much about Lou Evans last year. Uh, if he helps us win one game, then he's worth taking, I think is what Rick's quote was on, on Lou Evans so many times. James Daniels already helped you win two or three games at least. The, the last two, he's he's definitely helped you win. If if you don't have him on roster, it's it's a different game. So uh, they're getting everything they can out of him, and and they still think they can get a lot more because obviously Rick's going to call him out uh, for not practicing hard enough and and thinking he can be a lot better if he does just practice harder. Yeah, and, and that's to the point that you were mentioning. We we're talking about the LSU game just a minute ago, and. You know, I, I know Will Wade a little bit, but I know some people who know him really well. And one of those people had spoken to him before the game, and, and then I talked to that person later in the day. And long story short, Will Wade was just talking about how tough it is to scout Tennessee. And, and so I asked him after the game about the same thing, about how tough it is to scout Tennessee because it's you know what you're going to get from Grant Williams. You mostly know what you're going to get out of Admiral Schofield. Um, but beyond that, it could be anybody. You know, it, you could have guys going from 25 points or 30 points in a game to, 
you know, hardly scoring in the next game. You, you got guys who won't play for three games, and then they'll go out there and play eight or ten important minutes in the next game. And there's just so many options of guys that you have to account for and so many ways they can play. And, and I, I just I look at it, and, and the first thing I think of nearly every time I think about uh, this Tennessee team is, man, I would not want to try to scout these guys because I don't – you know, if you've, if you've got like – a week or a couple weeks to prepare for a team or something like that, uh, or several days. Yeah. You know, you maybe, maybe could, could give them a pretty good crash course on this team. But if you have to go quickly, if you've only got a day or two, uh, and especially going into the conference tournament and going into uh, the postseason play in the NCAA tournament, if you've only got a couple of days or one day to, to explain what to do against these guys, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, and it goes back to that thing that Rick has said maybe two or three times now the last week or so, that he feels like they have two or three different teams within their one team. Uh, so you're not just scouting one team. You're scouting uh, you're scouting a Tennessee team that, that's going to go through Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, or the last couple of games you're scouting a Tennessee team that's going to go through uh, James Daniel and Lamonte Turner in the backcourt off the bench. Uh, Jordan Bone last night, Jordan Bowden can – can score his points kind of when he starts feeling it a little bit. Uh, I mean, there, there are so many different guys that can lead them in scoring. I think I wrote something going into the LSU game that, or maybe it was Iowa State, that like four of the last six games or something, they had a different leading score each game. And they've they've had five or six different leading scores throughout the year. And, yeah, it's, a, it's, not, it's not an easy task trying to figure out who's going to do what for this team night in and night out because you know we try to figure that out ourselves and and you know talk about it and break it down and write it and all that stuff that's not easy but yeah that that's the most important point is this team when they do get to the sec tournament when they do get to the ncaa tournament it's not going to be fun to turn around and play this team uh with 24 hours notice 48 hours notice whatever it is because uh, not only are they tough to scout but they're going to play annoying defense and try to disrupt everything you do and uh, no, it, it's not going to be a fun matchup when it gets that time of year. Though I've thought about it at times like uh, it, it, it's kind of one of those ideas that was kind of on the tip of my tongue or there on the edge of my brain, and I couldn't really remember it. You know, I was having a hard time kind of narrowing in on exactly what I meant. And, and then it finally came to me that this Tennessee basketball team, uh, it, it sort of reminds me uh, of a pitcher in baseball who is effectively wild. And what I mean by that is Barnes will say that he wants more consistency out of this team, and, and he's not wrong. Uh, there's a lot of guys on this team who game to game, you don't know what you're going to get, and, and if you're their head coach, that can be really, really frustrating. However, if you are trying to scout against them, you have no idea what you might see. And, and that, as a head coach trying to prepare your team to face that, that's even worse than being the head coach of the team that doesn't really know what you're going to do. Because it's like in baseball, when I was a baseball player, you step in the box against a guy who throws really hard and you have no idea where the next one's going. You don't really dig in because you wonder, is the next one going to be you know, a, a, a fastball right in my ear hole? And you never get comfortable. And I imagine playing this Tennessee team, the way that they pick you up man-to-man for 94 feet, the way that they're going to run your point guards ragged, the way that you have no idea what they're going to do uh, on offense, aside from the fact that you know they're going to work inside out when Williams is in the game. But it could be all these different guys, and, and there's not really a guy on the perimeter that you can just leave. you know, Because if you go leave any of those guards, they're going to hit a three right in your face. And if you completely sag off of Kyle Alexander and you go run double teams at Grant Williams, well, then he can just dump it down and Kyle Alexander will have a dunk. You know, there, there's, there, there's so many things that you just that you just can't really match up with against this team. And, and I just I can't imagine that it's any fun. No, and, and as the season progresses, I mean, they're, what, 21 games in now, nine games left uh, in the regular season. You're going to have an ID on tape, uh, obviously. Uh, you know, you're not going to be able to hide what you're trying to do when you're playing this many games. And if you can have more than one identity on tape, which obviously they do, they have a couple different identities on tape when it comes to what they're trying to do offensively or, or who's scoring night in and night out. It's, it's that much more difficult to scout. It's that much more difficult to defend on game day. Uh, and that's obviously a good thing, but I can understand why it's nerve wracking uh, from Rick Barnes and why he wants more consistency because you, they have been getting different points from different places every night, but you don't know going into the game that that's going to happen. I mean, uh, if everybody across the board has an off night, then, 
you know, kind of a, a game like Missouri happens or something like that. So yeah, it's it's a it's it's, it's a double edged sword. You you you're, you're tripping up your opponents a little bit, but you're also kind of sucking yourself out trying to figure out who's going to score for this team and who's going to do what. And speaking about guys who have been a little bit erratic, uh, Tennessee sophomore point guard Jordan Bone, a guy who's drawn my ire several times throughout the season, but only only because he's talented. Uh, guys who are not talented uh, are guys who I don't I don't give as much stick to. But I, I, this kid, when he plays the way he played Wednesday night against LSU, and I know LSU's not the best defensive team in the league by, by a country mile. They're, they're not a great defensive team in the backcourt. But when Jordan Bone plays like this, it reminds you just how good he can be when he's taking care of the ball the way he needs to, when he's taking the right shots and passing up the right shots and, and being more assertive on, on the offensive end when he's getting after it defensively, when he's locked in. Uh, he's a good player. Uh, he had, I think, about 12 points, eight assists, had a couple big rebounds, uh, didn't turn the ball over. Just, just a much, much better night from him. And nights like this are, are, are the reason why I get on him sometimes because he can be this good. Yeah, and it's another one of those performances that comes from a uh, kind of a heart-to-heart session or one-on-one whatever with Barnes after practice the day before a game. I mean, uh, what Rick say Wednesday night after the game that he challenged him to show them that he can play def- defense the way they want, the way they can count on and rely on, and they want these players, uh, like Rick Barnes said, to play defensively and and kind of let their offensive instincts take over on the other end of the floor. And I think that's what happens when these guys. Uh, start focusing and worrying only about their defense. They, 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 I guess, try to do less on the offensive end. They're not, they're not in their own head as much on the offensive end. And, and yeah, you're right about the the talent he has. I mean, Rick Barnes told me, you know, preseason. I guess this was October 2016 when Jordan Bone was a, you know, one of his first preseason practices. He said that kid can be the best player on the floor if he does the right stuff, uh, which is pretty incredible to think about. So, yeah, if, if they get that kind of performance somewhat consistently, uh, even it doesn't even have to be that, you know, that many points or that many assists, just no turnovers and, and playing good defense, they're, they're a different team. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, is he is such a special athlete. Uh, and, and again, those are the guys who frustrate you sometimes, not just him, but guys who have, you know, it's like the to whom much is given, much is expected. And, and he's a guy who who can be that good. And that's why sometimes when I see a shot selection or or when I see that that he won't push the ball up the floor uh, in that if he would just have more faith in his ability to get to the rim, he can get to the rim when he wants to. He's really hard to keep in front of you. Uh, but sometimes even when he's done that, his finishing hasn't been great, which I think has gotten in his head a little bit. So a lot of times they'll either be on the primary fast break or the secondary fast break, and, and they'll be on you know three-on-two or two-on-one or something, and, and he'll pull the ball back when he doesn't have to. He could go attack the rim and put two points on the board or, or get fouled, and he's a really good free-throw shooter. So, you know, that, that's the thing is, as well as Lamonte Turner can, can handle the point for Tennessee late in games and as well as he's played defensively and everything that James Daniels giving them offensively and defensively, the fact is that, that Jordan Bone could be better than all of them, uh, I think. You know, I, he's just – he's got – I don't know that he, he doesn't have the offensive game that Lamonte Turner has, which is just a really good overall offensive game, and, and Daniel too. Uh, but Bone's just a guy who could be a difference maker, and and, and that's the thing that, that gets me sometimes is, is that he could be that good. And, and I wish that, that he would show that more for his own sake and for his team's sake because he's a guy who, who could do some things. But, you know, there was one moment in the game, and, and we didn't mention this intentionally early. We were going to get to it a little bit later – but I think it's time now to, to talk about Grant Williams' situation. And, you know, there had been times where, where I don't know if any of us have, have wondered, like, ah, is he just nicked up? Or, you know, he's not really – he doesn't really look as explosive as normal today. And it just seemed like occasionally something might be a little bit wrong with him. And then, lo and behold, they finally admit Wednesday night when they had no choice uh, that Grant Williams has been battling uh, this sort of a back or hip thing throughout the season. And uh, that's maybe why, in hindsight, Rick Barnes didn't seem – all that, you know, uh, affected really when when you see your best player crumple to the ground in the opening minutes of that game, and then not come back for ten minutes, and he, he's in the tunnel getting stretched out, and he's not feeling very good, and you could just tell that the crowd was just terrified that, that all of a sudden this great looking season goes up in flames. But uh, Williams comes back on the floor, he's okay, he, he ends up playing pretty well, scoring sixteen points, 
Uh, got a shot blocked three times, which is which is not good for him. But uh, overall, played a pretty solid game. But is this something that that has to be a concern going forward now? Because now it's out there. Now they're mentioning it. But and, and this has clearly been bothering him, as he said, for pretty much the entire season. Yeah, it's a concern because it's. Uh, I mean, think about trying to play basketball and and having discomfort in uh, in your hip or in your lower back or whatever. That's gonna that's gonna change a lot of things, especially for a guy like Grant Williams that uses his body and uses those hips as much as he does to move people out of the way and to create space down low. And, and yeah, all it takes is a, is an awkward fall like he had Wednesday night. And, and one good thing for Tennessee, when he was out, they were, I think, plus nine or something like that against LSU for the, for the time he was out. Uh, the bad thing is as soon as he checks back in, he scores at the rim. He hits a foul line jumper. I think he had eight of his first, I think he had 10 points at halftime, and eight of them came after he came back into the game. So, obviously, he's a guy you can't miss, but at least it did look like Tennessee uh, had kind of knew what to do and, and had some other options when he was off the floor and, and were able to, to score for him. But, yeah, it's got to be a concern because you're at the 21-game mark. you still got a lot of basketball left to be played, and, and that's not a, and that's not something you want to uh, your, your best player to be dealing with. It's just a factor of, uh, really, how much does it bother him on a day-to-day basis, and, and how do they manage that moving forward? Yeah, and for those who missed the play, he was going up for a rebound against one of LSU's uh, 6'10 or 6'11 players, and uh, he kind of jumped up and he kind of got undercut right there on that right there on that kind of hip, uh, lower back area, and you could tell he it, 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 he looked like someone stuck a wrench in his back and kind of turned it. He just did not feel very comfortable at all. And he came back in the game. He, he said that Tennessee staff opened him up on the sideline, which I'm guessing means stretched him out. Uh, and obviously Tennessee's not going to go into specifics about this, and I don't claim to be a doctor, so I don't know what it is. But uh, it certainly looks to me like something that, that he can play through uh, for the most part, but something that might be a concern moving forward because, you know, Tennessee can survive here and there without him, but, but they need this guy. He's an SEC Player of the Year candidate for a reason. He's a guy who – uh, could help this team make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. He's a one of the better power forwards in college basketball and, and a guy who, at his size, can do just about everything. So, yeah, I mean, uh, especially when you look at the fact that, you know, Schofield was battling foul trouble throughout that game too, and that game could have gone a different way if Williams had, had gotten hurt and not been able to come back for longer, uh, and you got a game where Schofield's battling foul trouble. I mean, that's why that – I guess these coaches say you can never be too deep because uh, it's good to see guys like Fulkerson and Derek Walker especially come off the bench and make some plays and do some things. But, uh, I mean, it, it's fragile sometimes. It just takes one bad break, and all of a sudden, you know, this whole thing could change. Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that makes your team go. Uh, you may be able to get by with him for without him for a few minutes and, and do some things against a shorthanded LSU team. But, yeah, uh, he's the single most important uh, piece of the Tennessee basketball team. He's the single most important piece of next season's Tennessee basketball team. Uh, for as long as he's here, he's probably the most important uh, piece because of uh, what he does night in and night out, points, rebounds, uh, blocks some shots sometimes. Uh, he's a good passer, passes out double teams, set up guys on the perimeter. So, so many different things start with him and, and end with him that uh, you better mix in some maintenance days and, and take it easy on him and, and let him take care of his body if it's bothering him that bad because uh, when, when, the, when the ball tips, you need him. Yeah, and, and we'll get to a, a couple of questions here, uh, as we always do at the end of the podcast. We're, we're about to get to that point, and we will get to those, including there's one question that uh, I don't want to stump Grant on it, so I hate that he's not going to get much of a heads up on this. Actually, Grant, here's what I'll do. Uh, before we talk about this topic, keep in mind the last time, if you can ever remember Tennessee being this deep uh, in basketball, because someone asked that earlier today, and that got me. I did a tiny bit of research right before we did this podcast, so give yourself a little bit of time to, to look into that or think about that. But uh, the last thing we're going to talk about probably uh, before we get to the questions is Ole Miss this weekend, uh, Tennessee hosting the the old Rebel Black Bears, Land Sharks, um, whatever it is they are now at 6 o'clock Eastern on Saturday. Uh, Ole Miss 4-5 and five in the SEC, near the 500 mark overall to – uh, Grant, what do we know about this Ole Miss team? We know that Andy Kennedy teams always grind and they'll always bang, but aside from that, what do we know about these guys? <laughs> yeah, that, that they're probably going to be a nuisance, uh, that they, they've been competitive and, and they've won some games at home. I think they beat Florida at home, uh, and they've, they've given Tennessee trouble in the past, uh, and, and come the end of the year they're going to they're gonna have a lot of kind of wins, I guess, you, that, that you look at the schedule and wonder how they got to that number 
or how they beat some of those teams. So yeah, if if you beat Florida uh, in your in your home building, I think that should give Tennessee cause for concern that they can come uh, they can come into Knoxville and, and, and play them tough at Thompson Bowling Green. The good thing for Tennessee, it's a Saturday game. Uh, it's a six o'clock game. It should be a, a pretty good crowd, uh, pretty good energy, uh, despite there not being a, a ton of people there Wednesday night for that that six thirty game. But uh, take care of business at home and, and then get ready for uh, Kentucky and Alabama two road trips next week. But the good thing for Tennessee is uh, they've needed to take care of business a couple times in these last few games, and they've they've done it uh, pretty easily. So maybe they just kind of keep hitting their stride right here. Yeah, the, this team, you know, you feel like there's going to be one more, at least one more kind of lull at some point. Like they're going to go through a, a rough couple games just like every team does. Uh, people don't need to freak out when that happens. It's basketball. It happens. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a game now that if you focus – I mean, I, I don't want to be – uh, rude to Ole Miss because I got a lot of respect for Andy Kennedy. He, he's one of those tough kind of Bob Huggins type guys that his teams are always going to fight you. They're always going to be physical. You might beat them, but they're going to leave a bruise or two on you. I've always had a tremendous amount of respect for, for the way he runs that program. Uh, so you got to take care of that one. But that's one that if you're Tennessee, you look at the schedule, you got Ole Miss at home, you, you probably need to win that game. If you want to be competing for the SEC title as this Tennessee team wants to do, and, and it's only two games back uh, from first place Auburn right now. And I've looked at Auburn's schedule, and barring some kind of a, a rut there from Auburn, I mean, there's not a ton of games on there that Auburn really should lose. So uh, Tennessee can't be dropping these games. I mean, t- Tennessee, when you get a team like Ole Miss at home, you got to take care of that one. Take a second to look back, Wes, at what you just said, kind of digest it for a moment. We're sitting here in February, uh, even though it's the first day of February, and you just said second place, tied for second place Tennessee in the SEC is two games back of first place Auburn uh, in men's basketball in February. It's crazy. And you know, incredible. Th- there, there was another uh, thing that I should have mentioned this probably earlier in the podcast, but I was speaking to someone else. Uh, around the league and you know he and I were talking about it was an assistant coach and we we were talking about you know just how good the SEC is this year relatively speaking but how great uh, the SEC could be next season because you know Kentucky's going to have another loaded roster Uh, you know that you look at the way some of these five stars are coming in from other places uh, and all that looks really good and then you think about wait Auburn's not losing anybody from that team unless something happens crazy with the FBI stuff and all that. And, and Tennessee's only losing James Daniel. So the two two of the top teams in the league right now are not losing anybody, and everybody else in the league is bringing in you know some highly tied reinforcements. So uh, right now, I mean, this league, as good as it is right now, man, it could be really, really tough next year. Yeah, and they, they followed that blueprint of uh, that Rick Barnes has talked about for a couple of years now. If, if you play an elite schedule – uh, if you hire good coaches, you're going to have a good basketball conference, and, and that's what they've done. And I guess but before we do get out of here, we, we will get to a couple of these questions. we got a couple of them uh, that are that are pretty good ones, in, including uh, one of the first ones uh, was a, a pretty simple one, and it, this came from social media. It was why, if you look at that game, especially on Wednesday, but a couple other times this season, why does it not seem like, this fan base has completely rallied around this team that the way you you thought it would. And on one hand, Tennessee is, you know, in the top 10 nationally again in attendance and, and things are, are looking good on that front. Uh, it's, it's been better than I guess it's been the past year or two, but doesn't it seem like at least maybe the past couple of weeks that, that, that there's kind of a surprising lack of buzz about this team sometimes. Yeah, and it's it's been a couple of weeks since they had a Saturday home game, if I'm not mistaken. And the difference between a Saturday uh, afternoon game or a Saturday night game and a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night game can be a few thousand people. A Wednesday night was the first 6.30 tip-off of this, uh, Tennessee's home schedule. Uh, obviously, they introduced those last year with the SEC Network. I've always thought that kind of makes it more difficult uh, if you're a, a, you know, a working adult trying to go to the basketball game to get from work to make that commute to, to campus and get, get in the building before the game starts. Uh, I don't really understand why students weren't there. Uh, That's the one that got me. Yeah, and, and I saw it kind of discussed on the Hoopsville board uh, Thursday when and I think somebody said, uh, you know, maybe people just completely checked out on this basketball program because of how tough a few of those years were, and uh, they just haven't completely checked back in yet. But I, I think it'll be fine Saturday. I don't, I don't think it'll be a – 
capacity crowd by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it will be a few thousand more uh, than a, a midweek game. I think get a get a couple more Saturday uh, home games and, and it'll feel a little bit better, a little bit louder. Uh, and, and they obviously need those fans because it makes a big difference in that building. And, and you only have three home games left after Saturday. Yeah, and we know that, that TV dictates a lot of this stuff. And, uh, you know, on one hand, people were complaining about the 9 o'clock games. So they said, okay, well, let's have more 6.30, 8.30 games. Maybe that will make it better. Well, then you forget about the fact that a lot of these people get off work at 5 or 5.30. And you got to get across town. Knoxville's not a small place. You know, you might have to go pick up the kids somewhere. It's not the easiest maybe to get to a 6.30 game either, and but those days of knowing that you were going to play at either 7 or 8 o'clock during the week and that was it, uh, yeah, th- those days are gone. But uh, it seems to me like those 7 o'clock starts and uh, 8 o'clock starts uh, tend to do better than either the 6.30 or 9 o'clock starts during the week. I mean, that's just – and if you're a team like Auburn, for instance – uh, where a lot of your your fan base is in Atlanta, you know, you, you're not living in a large metro area, or you know, Oxford for that matter, close to to Memphis. You, you, you a lot of your people are having to commit to or, or to you know commute pretty far to these games, so that's not helping you. If you've got a game that starts too early or too late, a lot of people are just not going to be able to make that. So, uh, I know the SEC is in a tough place there because the network uh, is where you make your your cash, but I think it does hurt the the attendance in some cases. Yeah, and, and I think as, as crazy as this sounds talking about on a basketball podcast, when you get back, uh, when you get on the other side of National Signing Day coming up in whatever it is, a week, uh, when football kind of really becomes in the rearview mirror for the time being, I think the focus more turns on March and bracketology and, and all these projections and RPIs and rankings and strength of schedule and all that stuff and trying to figure out uh, if you're a team that's in the dance where, where you're seated. And maybe when that happens, maybe the focus kind of turns more to this basketball team and and, uh, and some more people start coming out. But, yeah, uh, you, you got three games left after Ole Miss on Saturday. Uh, one of those is Florida, one of those is South Carolina, and one of those is Georgia. So uh, if, if they win four more home games, they'll be doing all right. And, and, and if there's a lot of people in the building, it's certainly a lot easier for that team to win those games. And the last question we'll get out of here with is one from JU86 on uh, GoVols247.com. Had a really good question. Uh, he actually got it in before the uh, before the day when we put it in the official thread, so he got a head start on this. Uh, so so maybe that's a, a future incentive for, for people to break the rules and get rewarded for it on the board. But uh, JU86's question is a good one. He said, this is the deepest Tennessee basketball team since question mark. Uh, because Grant Williams has only scored 50 points in the last four wins. So that, 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 that's a good point. And, uh, Grant, can you remember a time that you've covered Tennessee or, or you've been around Tennessee basketball that you can remember a team that was even close to this deep? No, not even close. Uh, I've really only been around it uh, coverage-wise since maybe the Conzo Martin Sweet 16 season. Uh, I pulled one up at random when you gave me the heads up trying to figure out uh, I guess you have the answer or you have a, a answer. Yeah. The only one that, and I still think uh, this is one that is not quite as deep. Um, this team, I th- the t- this current team, I think is deeper than this team I'm about to mention, but there's one team that was in the conversation and it actually wasn't a particularly memorable Tennessee team for the right reasons. But the 2010, 11 Tennessee team, uh, which was Bruce Pearl's last season, uh, in Knoxville when he was uh, unceremoniously uh, kicked to the curb, uh, that team may have been almost as deep as this team. That's the only one that I can remember. Now, that team only finished 19-5 and overall, 8-8 uh, and eight in the SEC, bounced out in the first round of the NCAA tournament. But when you look at that team's roster, uh, I'll just go down the list here. You had, um, you know, you had Jordan McRae, Melvin Goins, uh, Trey Golden, Tobias Harris, Skyler McBee, uh, Kenny Hall, Cameron Tatum, Josh Bone, John Fields, Scotty Hobson, Brian Williams, Jerron Maiman. That team had players, uh, and that team should have been better than it was, and you could argue that if it weren't for the uh, sort of off-the-court distractions and such that 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 team would have been better. But that team had a 10 or 11 guys, because I've talked to a few people uh, in around the Tennessee program, guys who, who who have been around this for a while, and three of the two of the three that I talked to said, hands down, this team is deeper than any team they can remember. But one of the three said that the, he thought the 2010-2011 Tennessee team was deeper. So that's the only team that I think is even in the conversation. The one I pulled up at random was the 99-2000 Sweet 16 team. 
uh, under Jerry Green. Uh, Vincent Yarbrough and T- Tony Harris played 30 minutes each. Uh, John Higgins played 28. C.J. Black played 24. Isaiah Victor played 20. So that's your starting five, not in and not out. You had Ron Slay off the bench, 17 uh, minutes. Dell Baker, Harris Walker, Charles Hathaway, uh, Jenis Grindstaff, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, actually, Jenis only played one game, so count him out. But still, that's a, that's a pretty, I guess, a deep basketball team. But yeah, not as not as certainly not as balanced uh, with as many different kind of take your pick who's going to do what every night kind of options as this team has. Yeah, because that Tennessee team uh, hardly ever played McRae and gave Maimon a hilariously low playing time at times during that game. I mean, that was the season where, you know, Stephen Pearl kept starting and you're like, wow, this is the most hilarious case of nepotism ever because it was pretty obvious that <laughs> Jerron Maimon needed to be starting and that was sort of an open joke uh, in and around the program to a lot of us. But, yeah, that that was the team uh, that that I think – came close but but this team I mean you got guys like I've said this before I'll say it again you've got two or three guys on this team who would have no doubt in my mind started uh, several times in the past three years and they're not even hardly playing on this team right now so I mean guys like Jalen Johnson at any point in the past three seasons uh, that that kid would have been playing a lot and he's hardly playing for this team. Uh, in the past couple of years, a guy like Pons would have been thrown out there and said, well, figure it out. You know, uh, they, they would have had no choice but to do that. And these guys uh, just aren't playing much on this team. Oh, and it's it's going to be deep for a while. I mean, these guys aren't going anywhere. They have obviously one upperclassman or one senior, I'm sorry, and James Daniel. And uh, you're returning 12 or 13 scholarship guys next year. They're going to be a good team then. And uh, – not only are they really young, but they've all seemingly played a lot of minutes. They've played kind of veterans' minutes because they've had to do so much since day one in helping build this program. So uh, they've certainly laid a foundation, and that foundation uh, definitely isn't going anywhere soon. It's a, it's a question of how far this team goes and what kind of talent they add in the 2018 cycle and, and go from there. You got anything else before we get out of here, Grant? Any any thoughts on your mind? Anything that you just got to get off your chest? Any Anything other than the fact that uh, by the way, no one else is going to say this, so I will. Happy birthday. We're, this is going to be released on Friday morning, but right now this is still Thursday night as we're recording this, so happy birthday, buddy. But uh, anything else you need to add other than the fact that now you're old and don't know anything? Uh, I'll quote Swanson and say uh, birthdays are made up events for Hallmark to sell cards, and uh, I'll be thankful for two home games this week, uh, even though it's right back to two road games next week. Yeah, you got you got to take the wins that we get at this point in time, you know? Try small victories. Yeah. See you, buddy. Well, there you have it. That was coworker Grant Ramey and I talking a little Tennessee basketball. We'll be back uh, early next week. We'll actually have a, a special edition of the Go Vols 24 7 podcast where I'll sit down with Tennessee athletic director, newly minted Tennessee athletic director, I should say, Philip Fulmer. We talked about Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, uh, budgets, college football playoff, SEC scheduling. Philip Fulmer being a, an AD, which is a, certainly something that he's never done before. So uh, Philip and I had a, had a good sit down, about 20, 30 minutes or so, uh, talk about a lot of things that y'all will be interested to hear about. We'll have that for you early next week. And if you missed it, we had our podcast, uh, the earlier one this week, came out on Thursday afternoon where we talked a lot about Tennessee recruiting football-wise heading into National Signing Day. Uh, we did our first annual State of the Vols address, so uh, Patrick Brown and I had some fun doing that one, and we had some good recruiting conversation with Ryan Callahan in that one as well. So uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll be back early next week, and then we'll see you, uh, uh, I guess, after that with a little more football and basketball talk after that. Don't forget, National Signing Day next Wednesday, so plenty to talk about, and we'll have you covered for all that on GoVols247.com and uh, obviously here on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening, y'all.